It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Boston Loose Baseball, episode 68, Grant Paulson, Toby Altizer. We've got some things to discuss, including the C.J. Abrams stolen base streak continuing. Another home run for Jamer Candelario at Wrigley Field. The Nats have made some big promotions in the minor leagues, and it is time to prepare for a bad bullpen to get worse. We will explain coming up next on Boston Loose Baseball, episode 68. Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. Welcome in, Boston Loose Baseball, episode 68. I'm Grant Paulson, joined as always by Toby Altai. Toby, how are you? Pretty good. I mean, the the Nationals won the season series over the Cubs, so I know a lot of people that are Cubs fans from my time out in Milwaukee, so I can hold that over them. I was talking a little trash. So it's uh, always nice to talk some trash to Cubs fans. Yeah, that's fun. And I like Wrigley Field, and I have kind of for a long time found them. You know, they're the lovable losers at one point, you know, admirable enough from afar, like the colors, and it was easy to root for them because they weren't a threat. Uh, still kind of pull for them from a distance, but not when they're playing the Nationals, obviously. In that series, Jamer Candelario, back from injury on this road trip, goes deep again. He actually had a big home run to pull the Nats within one, going back to the Wednesday night game at Wrigley Field. But Jamer quietly coming back from a few days away after getting hit by a pitch and uh, dealing with some soreness. couple of home runs here in his last three games. He homered in the first game of the series at Wrigley, in the third game of the series. So you look at the last seven games, the OPS is still up around 900 for him. Uh, he is making things easy on Mike Rizzo right now as he's now got 15 home runs and an 820 ops while playing a really good third base, he's going to get something for the Nationals back on the trade market. Yeah, and that's kind of the tough part about being a fan of the Nationals right now is some guys that you really like might end up getting moved. We'll talk about the bullpen in just a little bit, but Jamer Candelario, I think, is at the top of that list. You mentioned that you know, defensively he's been good. Offensively, since he's come back from the injury, he's been good. I mean, this is a guy that I think has been even better than what the Nationals expected when they signed him. You know, they've signed him as a trade ship at the deadline which is what they're going to do but it's kind of tough because he's such a likable guy he's played so well for this team he's been one of the best players I think you could argue possibly the best player with him maybe Lane Thomas if you want to throw Josiah Gray in there it's one of those three that's been the best player for the Nationals this season but he's going to end up getting moved at the deadline but we were talking before we hit record here on this podcast Grant and he's someone that if you trade away I wouldn't lose his phone number. I would be giving him a call and saying, hey, would you like to come back to D.C. after your short stint wherever they send him? Because, you know, there isn't really a long-term third-base solution that's 
major league ready yet in the minor leagues. Brady House would be your third baseman of the future, but he's not going to be up by opening day next year. So I wouldn't mind if Jamer were back for a little while because I think he could fill a hole for you, and he's a good veteran to have in the clubhouse. Yeah, and there's no reason to think that he couldn't be someone that could uh, help you at other positions as well. You know, that, that's he's the kind of guy maybe – uh, that you know, you, you play at third base, you kick over to the right side of the infield in the pinch, you can do some DHing. You know, it's valuable in that he's a switch hitter, he's got a little bit of power. So, yeah, I like the idea of bringing him back. We've talked about it recently on the pod. I mean, I would 100%, I, I think we both agree, and, and anyone who doesn't agree with this is going to end up uh, being disappointed, but you absolutely have to trade him. I mean, there, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You signed him to trade him. This has worked out beautifully. This is the anti Nelson Cruz. This is why you went and got him. You hoped that he would play well, and I don't think they had any delusions or even dreams that he would play this well. But here he is hitting 260 with an 820 ops and 15 home runs and playing much better defense than he has last year, last couple of years at third base, and there's going to be suitors. I mean, there's going to be teams courting him, so you flip him, no doubt about it. But, yeah, go, go get into the sweepstakes if you want on a two-year deal. It might take a little more than a one in five, let's say, uh, that that this year uh, you were able to get him on, which was great bargain shopping. If it's two years and, and eight or two years and 10, or maybe you give him one and six and you you run it back. You do, you do this again if he's willing to come back. My guess is generally a guy like him, you know, after having a year like this at age 29, someone is willing to pay him probably a little more than the Nats are going to be willing to. And so it's, it, you know, it's still unlikely. It's I'd bet against him coming back, but the point is, all they can do is show interest and try to bring him back, and I think they will. I reference, though, that he's been hot with the power, three home runs in his last seven games here over his last 25 at-bats. How about the fact, though, if you actually break down over the course of the season, his first 60 games, I think it was, he homered seven times. Over the last 30 games, he has homered eight times. So as it's heated up and, and the weather's come around now and the ball's flying a little more, I mean, he's been on a tear. Eight home runs in 30 games. That's just the equivalent of basically a month. I mean, you extrapolate that out, and this is all rough math, but there's six months in the season. You know, th that's like a 48-homer pace. I mean, he's been killing the ball here over the last 110 or so at-bats as he's homered eight times for the Nats. Yeah, and he's played gold glove defense. I mean, I think that's the thing that we can't understate here is the fact that this guy has played incredibly on the defensive side of the ball as well. And this is something that when you signed him, you thought a lot of doubles, you thought, okay, defense, you thought maybe some power. But for the most part, he was going to be a doubles machine. He's been a doubles machine. He's hit home runs and he's played good defense. So he's just really raised his stock from where the Nationals signed him at to what he is now at the deadline. There were a few different speculative pieces that I was reading this week on where he could end up. One team that I guess needs a little bit of what he could provide would be the Milwaukee Brewers. And the idea is that they're really starved for offense. That's a team you covered in the past. You were out in Milwaukee. Uh, not a lot has changed with them. I think they're a potential suitor if you dive into you know the Brewers and kind of offensively just how much of a struggle it's been. You know They need someone who can hit the ball over the fence. Uh, the Marlins are another team I've seen linked to Jamer Candelario, their current third baseman, Gene Segura, uh, offensively slashing 218, 280, 274, couple home runs and 19 RBI, a war of minus 1.4, which is a pretty horrific, frankly, 
Uh, so that doesn't make sense. I mean, the Brewers, uh, they've been DH and Jesse Winker, who's having a terrible season, slashing 200, 325, 250. So you could use Jamer there. Uh, one home run, 22 RBIs, war of uh, less than, you know, zero. I think it's negative 0.6. Corner infielders haven't been great either with Rowdy Telez hitting 213 with 12 home runs. Uh, third baseman Brian Anderson, he's been better than the other guys, hitting about 230, 317, 373 with nine homers, but he's a half a war guy. So, I mean, if they wanted to bring in Candelario, either as a DH at times, play some third base, I think it could possibly work. Yeah, and this is where it gets interesting, Grant, because of the way that the new playoff system is set up. More teams are going to be in at the deadline than have been in before. And so the Nationals are clear sellers, and it's pretty obvious that the guy at the top of the trade list is going to be Jamer Candelario. So while the return might not be great to begin with just because of what you're trading and for only a rental, it might go up slightly just because of the fact that you mentioned two teams that could be in on them. There could be other teams that are in on a third baseman, and there's something that you can't you know, discount. He's a switch hitter as well, so it's a guy that can hit from the right and the left side, so you can plug him anywhere you know, into your lineup because he's a switch hitter. He's good defensively. I think that Jamer steps in immediately can help out a contending team right away in the field and at the plate. So, you know, maybe because of the fact that more teams are into the playoffs and the Nationals are one of the few in the league that's a clear seller, maybe that drives the price up just a little bit, not to say that they're going to get something that's substantial, but, you know, we'll see if they maybe can get into a bidding war with some teams and get something nice for them. Yeah, just get me a decent prospect. You know, add something that creates more competition and, and gives you the hope for a good big leaguer, whether that's a relief pitcher, if it's a you know an A-ball arm that could end up pitching in the rotation. You know, we've seen Mike Rizzo hit home runs, kind of literally, figuratively, what have you, uh, in some of these trades. I remember when they flipped Christian Guzman, and, and they had a couple of players coming back, including, like, the throw-in was Tanner Roar, who ended up having, you know, major stretches where he had, top 10 earned run averages in the national league for an extended period of time. Right. I mean, so you can win these deals and you can have success by going and getting guys that you don't think at the time are going to be big leaguers. But if your scouting department sees something, or if you're able to, to get the right guy, who's the right fit in the organization, you know, maybe it turns into a really helpful key piece. Uh, one other team I wanted to throw out there, cause I've seen them linked uh, to the Nats and on the Candelario front as well is the New York Yankees. Now, I will say I was reading this week, there's a possibility because they've been stinking up the joint. Uh, they were playing the Angels. They dropped the first couple games of that series. They went into game three hoping to avoid getting swept, and then they got throttled again 7-3 to three on uh, Wednesday night. Zach Neto had a couple of hits at the top of the order. Shohei Otani walked four times. They were just petrified of him. Uh, the Angels ended up scoring two runs in the first three innings at a 6 nothing lead and won the game 7-3. to three. But with the Yankees getting swept, they're now three over 500. They're basically in the exact same spot they were in when they sold off in 2016. I don't know if you remember back then, but they traded like Andrew Miller to Cleveland. They traded a Roldis Chapman, I think it was, uh, in that same kind of fell swoop to the Cubs. Those two guys met in the World Series. They ended up signing Chapman after, like you're talking about maybe doing with Candelario. But I bring this up to say, I think there's a chance the Yankees could actually sell for the second time in, in a few decades. But if they end up buying, they don't want to add value because they're like a million dollars right now over the threshold for the highest tax that you can pay for the luxury tax. And they don't want to be there if they're going after Shohei or trying to have a big offseason spending. So they might have to try to add guys that don't cost a lot of money that could help them. Well, who better than Candelario? 
who you're mm-hmm. basically going to be paying around $2 million for the rest of the year, but you might get legit production from. Like He'd be better than Donaldson was for them at third base, who right now has this pretty severe calf strain. Uh, they've moved LeMahieu back over to third, who's won batting titles in the past, but he's slashing 234, 297, 371. I mean, he has not been good at all. So that's just one other team I would throw out there. Again, we have no idea where Condelario is going, but I do think the Candyman's getting traded. And I, I will just tell you this, Toby, I don't really care who it is or where you trade them to. Uh, I'm all for trading in the division. I have no problem. You know, there's certain guys where it's harder to do that. Like when they made the Turner Scherzer deal, that would have stunk if they traded them to Philadelphia or something to get prospects. I just want the best players back. That's all I care about. I don't care if that's the Mets, the Phillies, the Dodgers, the Yankees. Give me the best possible player for Candyman. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a rental, so it's not that big of a deal. If he re-signs with them, you know, that's another thing. But you're just trading him for a rental. And to your point about the Yankees, Judge should be back at some point. He was already hitting. He's running the bases. So maybe this is a little bit of a different thing than 2016 because they can look at it and say, if we can add Candelario, we don't have to give up too, too much to get him. We'd get Candelario at third and get Judge back. That's getting two high-quality players back in the lineup and yes, it's a really tough division with the AL East, but if you can sneak in and you got Aaron Judge, probably the second or third best hitter in all of baseball, you got a chance anytime, especially with all that lineup, if they can find something in the playoffs. So I don't know that I would buy that the Yankees would consider selling unless everything keeps falling apart over the next couple of weeks. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a perfect, a perfect match right there with Candelario. But who knows where he goes, but I completely agree with you, Grant. Just get the best return possible wherever it is. That division's loaded, by the way. The Orioles just caught the race. They've been on fire. Tampa Bay has crashed back down to earth. So Baltimore, and somehow they've played four fewer games than Tampa. I saw they have four games in hand, which is just weird. But they're quote-unquote tied now. I think the percentages in the win column are like 6-11 for Baltimore and 6-08 or something for Tampa Bay. I don't remember the specifics, but it's a couple you know, measly portions of percentage points off. They're basically in a tie. And that's going to be a fun division the rest of the way. Uh, for the remainder of this season. Uh, all right, uh, before we get to the minor leagues, a couple other things at the major league level. So Candelario, two home runs against the Cubs, very helpful. Now 15 for the season, on pace for over 20. They're going to get something for him. Check. How about C.J. Abrams? We talked about him on the last pod. I think he was kind of the anchor of our last conversation that we had together. So I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on him, but the turnaround has been legit. Two more hits against the Cubs in the finale. Uh, infield knocks, by the way, where he's, you know, that you, you were texting me on our Nats chat and you were, you were basically saying this is Trey Turner type stuff. Like he hits the ball into that five, five hole kind of within reach of the shortstop, but full extension or sliding. And he's just so fast that they have no way to make a play. So he has the infield hits. He had a, a sacrifice bunt in the game as well. But where I'm most impressed and you know this, I love this so much about his game. I have been begging for him to steal bases and he's continuing to do that. Two more steals in this series with Chicago in these last three contests. So that means now my splits are even. 77 games, he stole nine bases to start the year. Ten games since, he has nine steals. I mean, that's just incredible. Nine steals for 77 games, and I was pulling my hair out. Like, this dude is a 70 runner. What the hell's going on here? Now, over 10 games, he's got nine steals. It's just been a track meet. And even when it looks like he's gotten thrown out a couple times, they've challenged, and he's won the challenges. Yeah, so the way that we've talked about Mackenzie Gore this season has been talking about 
how he's shown real flashes and then struggled at times. That's what I think you're seeing on the opposite side with CJ Abrams. And you're seeing a big time flash right now where he's shown flashes defensively. He's shown flashes where he can run like crazy. He's shown flashes where he's gone second deck with power. He's shown all of that this season. Now it's just about finding some consistency. And right now with the way he's going, he's found something that hopefully he can continue to carry on. I mean, he's not going to hit 400 and all those crazy things he's done over the last couple of weeks. But, I mean, we're getting a big enough sample size that over the last month, he's been a totally different player, an above 300 hitter, a guy like you said, stealing bags. He's been better in the field. He just looks more confident. And, you know, we've talked about this so many times about how young he was coming in. He's learning at the major league level, and sometimes things just click. And it's crazy because – you know, maybe if you ask CJ, he wouldn't know that there's anything that specifically clicked, but everything just starts slowing down for him and making more sense. And we'd be remiss, Grant, if we didn't mention, because it was named after the last pod that we recorded. But congratulations to him on being NL Player of the Week last week. He was uh, fantastic in that Cardinals series, and hopefully he continues to play like he has, because if he does, this is a guy that was a former top prospect in baseball, and this is why. Yeah, those honors have been few and far between around here the last couple of years, haven't they? I mean, <laughs> I, I hate to just top of my head forget, but I mean, since Kyle Schwarber went on that crazy home run dare before he was traded and they blew things up after they got swept in Baltimore when it all went sideways in the pandemic season or the, the year after the pandemic even, I'm trying to think, like, what has even been close to a, a player of the week, player of the month, kind of performance I, I don't know that they've had the talent to even have anyone in the conversation so that's a big deal you're right and for him to be 22 and accomplish it on the heels of Josiah Gray going to the all-star game which was a, a great accomplishment as well some good things to be happy about if you're a Nats fan uh to your point last seven games Abrams hitting 415 last 15 games is hitting 350 last 30 games he's hitting 312 and if you look at the splits on the season uh he hit 235 in April with a 709 OPS, then about 250 in May with a 707 OPS, so about the same. Then June, he really did struggle. He hit 216 with a 585 OPS, but here in July, a 353 average with a 960 ops. And he's getting on base 41% of the time this month. Obviously, so much of this correlates to him having been moved up in the order. I mean, if you look at where he bats and how he's performed. I mean, it's pretty crazy when he's hitting first, it's only been eight games, but he gets on base 44% of the time and he hits almost 400 where he spent most of the year batting eighth uh, or, or ninth, basically uh, in 39 games hitting eighth, He was a 226 hitter with a 274 on base batting ninth in 33 games. He was a 254 hitter with a 303 on base. So to see him now getting a chance to lead off hit at the top of the order, uh, has been really, really cool. And, you know, even when he was leading off innings as a or hitter down the bottom of the order, his numbers were actually better than, you know, when he wasn't. So it just seems like, you know, this is something that he he's done it his whole life. He's always been, you know, that yeah. top of the order, great athlete, fast player, catalyst, spark plug probably at, on every team he's ever played on. Uh, but he's come out of the all-star break here, seven for his first 21 at the plate, picking up where he left off. And over the course of the season, I mean, look, he's he's very young, which we talk about. But, I mean, he's hit 270 off right-handed pitching. Left on left is tough for a young guy. It's going to come. But it, the numbers, he's better than league average, where they tick above league average uh, OPS and, and a 
270 batting average against right-handed pitching. So when you actually dive into some of the splits and the peripherals for him, uh, you can find some things that you like for Abrams. Yeah, and I want to give Davey some credit because we give him a lot of flack for the way that he uses the bullpen at times and various things with some of his in-game management. But one thing that I don't think you can ever question Davey on is how he manages the clubhouse and manages the personalities and does a good job with the people in that clubhouse. And so I think he started to see CJ turn a corner or maybe he saw something in CJ and, you know, he mentioned calling him into his office and saying, Hey man, I think you should be a leadoff hitter. I think you've got the capability to do it. Let's see you do it now. And he's thrown him in the leadoff spot and he's been a totally different player. And so I think that he saw that, Maybe he needs to have that little bit of a, a, a kick in the pants, if you want to say it. I don't know that it's, you know, kick in the pants is kind of usually negative connotation, but something to just extra spur him on to move him up to the top of the order and say, hey, take ownership of this. This is now your spot. Now go out there and show it. You're a good big leaguer. You deserve to be in the top of the order. Go take ownership of this. And I think that's made the difference in that mentality from CJ. And it's a credit to, Davey for realizing that and now we're seeing a little bit of a different player in CJ so let's just hope that he can continue doing that yeah a couple of things as we forecast out in front now for Abrams that I want to see him continue to improve he chases way too many pitches he's in the eighth percentile in chase rate uh, I think this has actually gotten a little bit better here recently I would imagine if I could look at the percentile in the last month you know and really break it down from a timeline standpoint having said that though you know, you line up 100 batters, 92 of them this year have been better than him at not chasing. Like, that that's an area where he's got to improve. With that, as he spits on more pitches, his walk rate's going to go up. We're talking about him getting on base, being a leadoff hitter, right? You, you need to be able to, to have an on-base percentage. His for the year at 301 is just not good. Obviously, as we're talking about, it's changed considerably here lately. Is this a hot stretch? Has he turned a corner? We're going to find out. But his walk percentile is fourth in baseball. 96 out of 100 hitters are, are doing a better job drawing walks than he is. He actually is middle of the pack, does a pretty good job not striking out, which tells you there's bat-to-ball skills. Uh, but, you know, he, he just doesn't find the barrel frequently enough, 25th percentile. Uh, hard hit percentage is 21st percentile. You, you want to hit the ball harder than he does, more often than he does. And, and while I would say you want it in the air generally, with him, as you're talking about tonight, you know, with a couple of the ground balls that turn into hits, against the Cubs on Wednesday, like sometimes ground balls that are hit hard are okay. I mean, occasionally that's, if it's an atom ball, it's a double play or something. But in his case, if they're, you know, if they got eyes and they can get into areas where there aren't fielders and they got to catch it on the move, then there is a possibility for you to, to get some hits out of those ground balls. So uh, there's a lot of room for growth and I, I want to uh, see at the end of the year, kind of where we are and how long he can sustain some of this success. Uh, but it's the most fun we've had for sure watching him get results since he came here. Dang, zoom. The last thing that we got to talk about on the big league level, look, this is not me patting myself on the back, I promise, okay? And I'll be the first to admit when I'm wrong about things. But uh, in our little uh, group, a, a few of us that are friends that love the Nats, we text about the team. And, and a few days ago, I texted – and I said, this bullpen's about to become a disaster. <laughs> and one of our buddies was like, about to become. He's like, it's been bad all year. And I said, no, 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 no. It's about to become a show. <laughs> now, in the couple of days since, they gave up, I think, 14 runs and two innings to the Cubs. And then on Wednesday night before we taped, 
Uh, Corey Abbott gave up a grand slam. They immediately came into the game and and watched another massive inning and a massive implosion happen. Uh, here we are. I mean, th- th- they started with what was a weak bullpen, Toby, and now you've got Hunter Harvey, who I think was their best reliever this year. And th- there's a conversation to be had there, but Hunter Harvey is hurt. Uh, you can't overuse Finnegan, so that there's no such thing right now as like an A bullpen, let alone where's your B bullpen. Uh, I don't think Thaddeus Ward was a guy that you, you could really trust anyway, but he's not around. So they're just tapping into basically a bunch of randoms, like guys that they're plucking off waivers and calling up after a couple days at Rochester and adding to the 40 man. And it is a complete mess right now. It's a, it's a, uh, the word I saw Jesse Doherty of the post use that I loved was it is a complete scramble for them to just try to day in and day out, like literally find arms who can pitch in the bullpen. And they've seen the regression here back to earth, a little bit of Jordan Weems who'd been dealing. That's pretty clear. Amos Willingham uh, just isn't ready for the bright lights. Like he's just getting exposed. Uh, Jose Ferrer is fine, but he's not dominant by any means. And he's gotten knocked around after a good first few outings. I mean, this has been a, just a disaster over the last few days. So, I wasn't watching on the Masson broadcast, Grant, so I was watching on the marquee broadcast on the Wednesday night game, and Trevor Williams came out of the game after five innings, and they're like, oh, a solid outing, five innings, only two runs, and I was like, as a Nationals fan, when you hear the five innings, you just know it's over, because that means you're going to have to use multiple relievers, and one of them's going to blow up, and so that's kind of the problem, too, is like, the bullpen has been terrible, the starters don't go deep, so that means you're using at least two to three of those guys, and one of them is going to have a bad outing and just give up a lot of walks or give up a lot of home runs or it can't get a single guy out. I mean, Willingham comes out, gets out of a little jam, and then the next inning just cannot get a guy out. Every single pitch he throws gets hit hard somewhere. Like, it, it's just a tough spot where you're in right now. And, you know, a good thing is I see on Twitter that there's not Nats fans blaming Davey for it because no matter which guy he chooses, it seems like it's the wrong choice. And it's not a good spot to be in for the Nationals. And, like you said, like early in the season, we were talking about this bullpen, but at least they could turn to Edwards. They could turn to Fittigan. They could turn to Harvey. Well, now Harvey's on the IL. Edwards has been hurt. You can't use Finnegan every night. Like, who are you going to use in that bullpen? And if it's a one-run game, either direction, you might as well just call it quits because the bullpen has just been so bad. Well, here's how bad it is, right? And I don't mean to be rude to this guy because I'm sure he's a nice person. I've never met him. But like Joe LaSorsa? Whoever that is, like you, you've seen him pitching a bunch Joe of Joe LaSorsa. Right, exactly. He's come over from the Rays organization. And I, I'm being a bit disrespectful when I say whoever that is. I'm, I'm aware of who he is. But like <laughs> he got out of the, the debacle game a couple nights ago where like they'd given up 800 runs in two innings. And so Davey immediately goes back to him the next night. Like all of a sudden, he's your fireman. And it's like, oh my God. You know, when, when you're saying like, okay, let's bring in Joe LaSorsa, he's the best option out there. Like, this is not pretty. But in that game, after Williams went the five innings on, uh, you know, Wednesday night against the Cubs to end that series at, at Wrigley, you know, uh, Jordan Weems came in and gave up a run. Then they went to La Sorsa. Then Mason Thompson threw 30 pitches and just he couldn't get a third out. He, he had two-thirds of an inning, a couple hits, four earned runs, but he left runners on. The bases were loaded, and that's when Abbott came in and gave up the grand slam. So all those runs... You know, three more of them get charged to Mason Thompson for the four Ernie's. But yeah, it's it's just it it doesn't matter who you go to. You're just kind of choosing 
Uh, whose ERA do you want to hurt tonight? You know, <laughs> if you're Davey at this point. And if you look in the last week, Jose Ferrer in his last three appearances has given up seven hits and four runs and two innings. Uh, Paolo Espino went to the shelf. Uh, they said he had something wrong with his, I think it was his right ring finger. But in, in three and a third innings, he had given up 12 hits and 10 runs. Like he was just wearing it. Uh, Finnegan had thrown well. Thompson before the implosion had thrown well. Now his ERA will be in the double digits this week. Uh, Weems has given up now five runs in three innings. Willingham's given up five runs in two and a third. Abbott has given up, I think, four runs in his last three innings pitched. Like, it, it's it's really bad right now. I mean, I don't remember their bullpen being in this bad a state where, like, other than Finnegan, uh, maybe Thompson, uh, even though he's not throwing well right now. But, like, who, who are you happy to see? Like, who's exciting to watch? I'm not even talking about who do you trust to keep a one-run lead. Like, when they come out of the bullpen, who are you like, oh, cool, he's in the game. I'll watch him. Like, no, it's it's the opposite of that. It's just a bunch of dudes who are not going to be on this team in a year, hopefully, and certainly beyond that, who are going to give up crooked numbers, basically. Yeah, and it's it's not a good spot to be in because you've got young starters in the you know rotation right now and Gore and Gray good point. and Irvin, and those guys, you don't want to tax their arms, so you don't want to leave them out there too long. But at the same point, you're like, man, can you give me a little bit of length? And even your guys that are supposed to be horses, like – Trevor Williams seems to struggle in the first inning of every game. And so his pitch count gets high right out of the gate. And then he's a decent starter after that. But if he could get through the first inning, maybe he could give you some length, but he hasn't done that recently. And then Corbin's the same thing. Like he had a decent outing against Chicago, but you know, maybe it's something you pull him after what was it? The sixth inning, but you really need him to go seven. You need really these guys to go seven and eight innings and you're just not getting that. So, you know, I think this is on both sides of that. The bullpen obviously needs to pick up their, you know, figure it out. But at the same point, like the starters also have to give you a little bit more length, but it's just not a good spot to be in for the nationals pitching right now. And to be honest with you, depending upon what happens at the deadline, it could get even uglier because what happens if you deal one of these guys? There's only three dudes they trust. Two of them are on the shelf, and the other one might get dealt. So yeah, I mean, and they probably should. Yeah, you know, to, to be honest with you, like if yeah. you can get something decent for Finnegan, do it. Or you know, if I mentioned on the last pod, like I know Hunter Harvey's just got placed on the injured list, but doesn't mean he's out for the year. I mean, if yeah. a team feels like he'll be back in a few weeks. Like we've seen that. I'm pretty sure Dan Hudson was on the injured list when the Nats acquired him the year that he went uh, and, and pitched and got the final out in the world series. Um, well, there, there was definitely a pitcher they traded for might've been the guy who came off the injured list and hurt himself and like running the bases the first game. Do you remember that? I don't know. Uh, it was like that the same year of Hudson. I, I want to say it was a guy. Oh, who, his first and last name both started with an R. I could be making all of this up. I know who but, you're talking about, but I can't remember his name. Yeah, I'll have to pull it in a second. But he hurt himself uh, like running the bases on his first game back. Well, and part of me wonders, I don't think that there was anything that, you know, anything fishy going on. But with Harvey, be a little extra cautious because if someone throws you, you know, a nice little deal, you might take it at the deadline. So, you know, obviously he's not feeling great. Obviously he had some what was it, the triceps and some forearm stuff. So he might have gone on the I.L. either way, but I'm sure they weren't opposed to just throwing him on the I.L. saying, look, we'll throw him on the shelf for two weeks to try for sure to keep him healthy. If a team wants to throw something at us for him, then 
we'll take that. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if they choose to deal either of these guys. If some team comes calling, if maybe all, you know, two or three of those guys get moved, depending upon what teams want. I mean, <laughs> it might get real ugly grants at the end of this season with what they're trotting out there on the back end of that bullpen. Rowanis Elias. You remember that guy? I do not actually know. Okay, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna make I'm gonna confirm right now. Um, injury running. Let's see. Yes, there it is. Sephra's hamstring injury. They traded for him when they traded for Dan Hudson on that same deadline day. And he came in, and I'm pretty sure he was already hurt. And then the first game he came back, or the second game, maybe it thrown okay, but he got hurt like running the bases, literally, and it was like you got to be kidding me with this. <laughs> so he did not help them a whole lot thereafter, as you can imagine, as they went on their run. Long gone! All right, let's dabble down to the minor leagues. Bust and Loose Baseball, episode 68. Toby Altizer, Grant Paulson here. Uh, you actually were in Harrisburg to go see the double eight. Uh, you were in Bowie, I should say, to go see Harrisburg, to see the Senators, and the double-A debut of Brady House, who has been promoted. So let's uh, start there. Some big-time promotions in the system. Dalen Lyle has gone from Fredericksburg, where he spent the majority of the first part of the year, to Wilmington now, where he's had his first seven at-bats and has his first hit already in A-plus ball. So good for him, the 20-year-old. We'll get to Dalen Lyle in a second. But Brady House has become one of the more talked-about Nats prospects, a huge breakthrough year, 295 average, an 860 OPS, Fresh off the Futures game where he made a great play defensively, put on a power display in batting practice, and now he finds himself just a phone call away from the bigs. I think when you get to double A, you know, you're knocking on the door. Uh, a lot of times, you guys will go to triple A. That's not always the case. He'll be in double A, I would imagine, for the remainder of the season, though, and, and maybe even start next year there and then get the call to triple A a month or so into the year. But he is 0 for his first six at the plate. He did walk two times on Wednesday night. Uh, so good to see him get on base in his second game in double A. Yeah. So the, the one takeaway, because the game I went to on Tuesday night, the senators got two hits, one from Robert Hassel, one from Trey Lipscomb. So it was not a great showing for Harrisburg, but you know, when you look at those guys compared to everyone else, you look at the futures game where they were at, you look at them, you know, against Bowie and uh, amongst their teammates, Brady House and James Wood just look like different dudes. They're just bigger. James Wood truly looks like a, a basketball player. Brady House is a big kid that's only going to get bigger as he continues to get a little bit older. Those guys, I think, are going to have real bright futures. So it's good to see them. Obviously not the best showing, but, you know, you see the potential with both of those guys just even looking at their physique. I mean, those dudes are just, you know, as they say nowadays, built different. Like those guys are big for their age. So, you know, I didn't get to see a whole lot of him in the field. There weren't a whole lot of balls hit to him at third base. But one thing, too, that stood out was, you know, when Jackson Holiday got called up to double A, there was a media contingent out there to talk with him and Bowie. And they asked him, like, hey, Jackson, was there anyone that you ran into along the path that, you know, stood out to you in A ball or high A or whatever you've seen so far in the minors? And the first name he mentioned without hesitation was Brady House. So he's left a, you know, a real mark on the players he's going up against and Jackson holiday at the game I went to hit four balls hard and two of them he got on base with, he's batting like 500 and double a. So for a guy like that, the number one prospect in all the baseball for him to immediately without any hesitation, mention the guy that's 
impressed him the most in the time that he's seen was Brady House obviously means something. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, I loved hearing that from Jackson Holiday. By the way, you just said he's about 500. I don't know if this includes his numbers from the game on Wednesday night. I think it does. Nine for 20 at the plate <laughs> in double A as a 20-year-old. Sorry, a 19-year-old. Nine for 20 on the season. Remember, he started in not even A-plus ball. He started in A-ball in the Carolina League at Delmarva. Spent two weeks there, and then he got called up to A-plus ball. And now as a teenager who was in high school 13 months ago, he is now in double A, where he's hitting 450 with a 1050 ops in his first five games. But 76 games into the minor leagues, he's already in his third level. Pretty amazing for Jackson Holiday, just flying to the majors. But great to hear him give love to uh, Brady House. I like when the peers take notice of guys. I was texting with someone with the Nats, and they're just so encouraged by the year House is having. They're like, we're, we're really getting excited. Uh, they said, you know, he might be a dude with a couple U's. And I was like, you know, th you could just tell. They're really – this was not long before they they bumped him up right after the Futures game. I think they got some really good reports and, and saw what they wanted to see as he was around some other stars and now he was carrying himself. So I think they're getting more and more comfortable, too, with Brady House's confidence and his demeanor and just, uh, you know, some of the – I don't even want to say process stuff because that's more baseball, but – um, some of the, you know, intangible things. And he's 20 years old, right? So to be 20 and in double A, like that's that's a really aggressive timeline they've got him on right now. I mean, he's a high school draft pick just two years ago, already in double A. That's pretty rare. So kudos to him. Uh, another guy I wanted to hit on, we haven't talked as much on the pod about him uh, as we have Brady House or James Wood. But we have talked a good bit about Dalen Lyle and, and how much I like him. I've seen him so much at Fredericksburg now this year. Uh, seven home runs, a 290 average, an 880 OPS on the season. He's also 20 years old, kind of a forgotten man in this system. Last year, he was a second-round pick, the 47th overall pick in 2021 a couple years ago in the Brady House draft, but he didn't play at all last year because of uh, an injury and, and surgery, uh, Tommy John. So they were waiting for him to come back. But in 2021 in rookie ball, he played about 20 games. That was the only thing we'd seen from him. So then he shut it down, didn't see him in 22. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But what a really good 2023 he's putting together here. In about 70 games at Fredericksburg, hit almost 300 with almost a 900 OPS. And so now he's bumped up to Wilmington. Not an easy place to hit. Uh, James Wood and Brady House both thrive there, so we'll see if he can do the same. But presumably, you know, they'll have him spend the rest of the season in Wilmington, and he'll be in line maybe as a 21-year-old next year to spend the bulk of his year in double A and, and try to get to triple A, which would be really encouraging for the athletic outfielder. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool because we talk all the time about the top three guys in the outfield and Hassel and wood and green, but we hardly ever mention Lyle. Like you mention him all the time from going down to Fredericksburg, but it seems like nationally, no one talks about him or anything, but this is a guy that all he's done this year is hit. So it was good to see him get rewarded and moved up. So I mean, we'll see because now things are trending a little bit downward with Hassel. Maybe Lyle takes his spot as one of the top prospects for the Nationals. We'll see, you know, as things continue to go forward. But, you know, it's always nice when you get those kind of guys that just get forgotten about and then you see them on the field again and realize, oh, right, that's right, that guy is a good ball player. And you're seeing it this year that he's really shown what he can do as a second-round pick, and I'm excited to see as he continues to progress if he can keep growing on that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the system right now, 
uh, James Wood and Brady House, uh, of the guys, I'll add Dylan Cruz in here in a second, but of the guys currently in the system playing minor league ball, Wood and House, I think, are in their own tier in terms of prospects. And then you, you kind of skip down to the next tier, and that's probably where you have, let's say, Cade Cavalli and Robert Hassel and maybe Christian Vaccaro, who's still at the rookie level. Um, I, I would even throw Jake Bennett into that tier. Uh, I'm a really big believer in Bennett, the, the lefty who's 6'6 and 230 pounds. He was the 45th pick in the draft last year. His numbers have been outstanding this season, a 170 RA in 12 starts, 56 innings, just 44 hits and 70 strikeouts, a 218 average against. Now, I do think he spent too much time at a level he was too good for, uh, but he did get bumped up to eight plus. Well, he hasn't thrown in a while, so I'm kind of curious to see uh, what's going on there and, and what happens next for him. But that said, that's kind of the next tier down. When you add Dylan Cruz to the conversation, I think maybe the tiers become Cruz and Wood gap, House gap, Cavalli's crew, you know, Cavalli, Hassel, uh, Bennett, Vaccaro. Maybe if, you, if you're high on a guy like De La Rosa, you throw him in. But they're at least now getting to a point where – even though all these guys aren't blue chippers, there's a little bit of baggage or some warts on, say, Jackson Rutledge, how long it's taken, or Cole Henry just because of the injury history and now post-thoracic uh, outlet, you know, some of those things. Like, they're at a point where they're close to 11 or 12 guys that you could see if things go well, like being really helpful major leaguers. And I haven't felt that way about the Nat system in a long time. Yeah, I mean, it was eye-opening when we had on Kyle Glazer, and he made the comment that some people looked at the Nats organization and the lower levels and said, these guys aren't you know, good ball players, but these guys shouldn't even be playing professional baseball of any sort. And you know, now you're looking at it, and they look like they're running a respectable organization in terms of the minor league program now. And you get, like you mentioned, there's more than just a handful of guys that you look at and say could be you know, respectable, good, contributing major leaguers. There seems to be some depth now. Now, you know, it's going to take some time for some of these guys to get there, but it's nice that we can talk about this team and mention more than just one or two prospects that we're excited about. Yeah, well said. Uh, all right, a couple of things, some housekeeping to do before we get out of here. Uh, we've told you guys in the past that we like reading your comments. We need comments to read comments, though. It's weird how that works. So the way that this works is we need you to subscribe and rate and review and do all of those things that people do for podcasts. And uh, when you do that, please give us, ideally, a five-star review. That would be nice. Uh, there's one jerk who gave us a one-star review. Oof. That's just a guy that doesn't like us probably or doesn't like me, I'm sure. <laughs> I rub him the wrong way or something. Like, why, why do you even rate? You know what I mean? But I digress. Uh, but go ahead. Leave us a, a rating, review, subscribe, whatever it is that you do. And if you could leave a comment, that would be awesome. We will shout you out on the show uh, because we are not above that. And frankly, we're, it's very sad. Um, we just we need our attention dollars. And uh, that's what we're doing to try to motivate you to leave a comment for us. So please go do that. Uh, and we appreciate you spreading the word on this podcast. Uh, anything else you wanted to hit before we get out of here? Real quick, so I know a lot of people on Twitter were freaking out because Elijah Green hasn't been in the lineup in Fredericksburg in quite some time, and Mike Rizzo talked about uh, recently before, I believe, this Chicago series that he's had a, a wrist sprain he's been dealing with, so we'll see with Elijah Green. It's definitely been a discouraging year, and you know, hopefully this isn't a lingering injury that he has to deal with, but 
I mean, at this rate, the way that it's been going for him, this season's almost going to become more of a wash than anything. So hopefully he can rebound. But, you know, I, I think when you draft a guy like Dylan Cruz where you do, I think that he gets he now becomes a luxury for you because you're looking at a outfield of having Cruz and Wood and you know maybe Lyle or Hassel or whatever other guy pans out. But now Elijah Green turns into a little bit of a luxury. So we'll see what happens with him. But I know a lot of people were freaking out about him not being in the lineup, wondering if there was something where they were being a little shady and just he's had a wrist sprain. So we'll see when he gets back in the lineup. But that's, I guess, the answer for why he hasn't been in the lineup at Fredericksburg. Yeah, bad sign that as I'm going through their top prospects, I didn't even mention him. Uh, <laughs> now, I mean, it's because he, he hadn't, as I said, been active on the field here lately. But uh, even still, I think you'd have you wouldn't put him in the. It's he's not in the Cruz Wood tier. I'm not putting him in the House tier at this point. So he's probably in that third tier then of the super high upside uh, guys. That you know, he he is a higher ceiling than any of those players. He's probably more in the Wood Cruz ceiling territory is the fifth pick in the draft last year, but it's been a long time since he's played uh, that well. I guess we could let people know that the newest national, Rico Garcia, a native of Honolulu, Hawaii, has been added to the roster uh, to that bullpen. He'll be pitching into the weekend. Uh, was drafted by the Rockies back in 2016 out of Hawaii Pacific. Uh, was a 30th round pick and has bounced around. Like This is your prototypical journeyman. You could use him when, when in doubt. Uh, you could just put his name down on immaculate grid and hope for the best. Uh, he's played for some teams, man. The Rockies, the Giants, the Orioles, the A's come to mind. Uh, so now he's getting a chance with the Nats. Have you played immaculate grid, by the way? How you doing on it? I play it all the time. I play it every single day. I'm usually up past midnight, Grant. So that's when the new one resets. So I play it almost every night before I go to bed early in the morning of the next day. So, yeah, absolutely. I love immaculate grid. I'm not good enough yet. And I haven't followed baseball quite long enough, not old enough that I can get these, you know, 25 rarity scores. I'm still more so focused on trying to get all nine right. But some of these people get crazy rarity scores with the names they can pull out of a hat. <laughs> the best is when the Nats are involved. I love that. Now, oh, yeah. I, like when I see that curly W, I'm fired up. For people that don't know what we're talking about, there is a really fun game. So some people... You know, do Sudoku. Some people do like word finds or whatever, or maybe crossword puzzles. Uh, there's a just a kind of a cool little exercise, brain exercise. I actually had uh, one of my best rounds today, but it's called uh, Immaculate Grid. It's immaculategrid.com. It's a baseball game. There's nine boxes, and there's then like an X and a Y axis, uh, essentially. And so, like on the on the vertical, you might have like raise twins and it'll say like 100 rbi season and then on the um you know the horizontal it might say like all-star and then it'll have like the a's and and the blue jays or something and so basically where there's a match you know correlating the x and the y axis you have to have a guy that played for the rays or the a's or a guy that was an all-star in, in a minnesota twin or what have you and the idea is you're trying to come up with the most obscure answers like you could pick the most obvious ones, too. If it's the Rangers and the Yankees, you could just say Alex Rodriguez, knowing you're going to get it right. But the idea is you're going to pick someone, and based on who other people are saying, it tells you what percent of answers have been that person. So, like, when it's the Nats or the O's, I do these deep cuts, dude, where I'm oh, like, yeah. it's like 0.1%, 0.2%. <laughs> you know, it's fantastic. But sometimes you're just stuck 
or, or I'll try to get cute and I'll be like, I'm pretty sure he played for both. No one is going to guess this. So I'll put his name in and then he didn't actually play for both. Mm -hmm. So like now I've screwed myself because you only get nine guesses to fill out the grid when you use all nine guesses. Uh, no matter how many boxes you've successfully filled out, you're done. So there's times where you don't fill out the whole nine square grid. So it's, it is a lot of fun. Uh, but my lowest immaculate, or they call it rarity score, right? Yep. My lowest rarity score was today, which was 54, which I felt good wow. about. But here's my question. How do they tabulate that? Because I thought they were adding up all nine boxes, and that's the number. But that that's not how the math works. So how does the rarity score work? I honestly have no idea. I really don't. But you should see some of the rarity scores of these baseball writers. You know, Charlie and Dave have ridiculously low numbers when they do theirs. It, it's nuts. See, and I think Mark Zuckerman had one the other day that was like a 24. <laughs> They're pulling out guys that it's I've golf, never heard right? of. It's golf style. So you want it as low as possible. Yeah, absolutely as low as possible. So it's it's nuts seeing some I of the names with, that people uh, pull CJ out of the Nikowski hat. at MLB Network Radio who played for, I want to say it's like 13 teams. But supposedly, there was one a uh, few weeks ago where you could use him in all nine boxes. <laughs> so he just kind of went through and clicked his own name in like all nine boxes, which is pretty good. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I like but it. it's cool. I, I heard that uh, like a uh, front office guy with the Yankees created it accidentally, like just for a fun thing to do. And next thing you know, it blew up and baseball reference is now running it. And, yep. and they've done a, a really good job with it. Added a lot of uh, spice and information. Yeah, I guess Trevor Williams plays it. I've seen Josiah Gray tweet about it. So it's a big thing in baseball. Oh, is JoJo in? Yeah, JoJo plays it. Vic was telling me that Trevor's playing it and trying to beat uh, Dave Jagler's score on Rarity. So I love it. I love it. The, All right, the, it's cool. a it's a big thing. That's great. Well, enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's fun. So go nerd out with it. All right, until we are back next week, Boston Loose Baseball episode sixty eight in the books. Thanks for listening and enjoy your Nats baseball this weekend.